0: Welcome to We the Podcast, a special investigation. This is Congressman Keith Ellison. Franchising sounds like such a great opportunity. Buy into an established brand, benefit from training and expertise, and suddenly run a business. We've all heard the advertisements stating, "Be your own boss. No experience necessary. Proven business model." Millions of people have bought and operated franchises over the previous decades and tens of millions more work for franchises. Franchises are the local businesses that truly invest in our communities by providing needed jobs, supporting community events, and providing a rich community life. But not all franchises are alike. While some genuinely care about the success of their franchisees, others seem to care more about earning profits from the franchisee fee and then reselling failed franchises to the next would-be entrepreneur. Their experiences show why we need reform in the franchise relationship. After Leslie and Jim faced a family tragedy, they needed to sell their Subway stores. They alleged Subway's development manager refused to authorize several offers because he wanted the stores to himself. Leslie and Jim were forced to sell their stores to him at a lower price and after precious time had passed as a result they had to sell their family home
1: well we bought two subway stores in 2004 um in 2006 our our eldest daughter was diagnosed with melanoma and we started treatment with her that was pretty relentless i think uh I think I was going to the city Well, about 80 miles from here. I was going to San Francisco three days a week um, and pretty much had to drop out of everything else that I was doing. That went on for quite a while. Chelsea survived five years. But in the meantime, um, I missed one or two, maybe three, of the payments for the Board of Equalization, just because I was, frankly, preoccupied doing other things. And um, we were aware of them, and we were trying to figure out how to get the board paid up. That's when we, we got involved with this woman who was overseeing our case, who, well, I mean, I t- to this day, I, I it's like I have um, post <laughs> post stress, you know, a disorder, just remembering how she treated me and how the whole thing went down. And she knew, she knew that Chelsea was sick. Um, she knew when Chelsea died, and um, but she just kept this. She just kept insisting that we would pay them, um, in addition to our taxes, that we were hit with this extra $1,000 a week. And it was easy to see when you knew our numbers, and she did know, that we would never make it. We would not, we would not survive those kind of penalties. And um, so we said, I said to her, you know, I'm, we're going to have to sell these stores, and we're probably going to lose our house over this and she said well then that maybe is what you need to do so the next step was to sell the stores and we had now jim you know more than i do on this because you're the ones that you're the one that entertained the offers
2: bottom line is we sold it three times at almost full value offering asking a little over five hundred thousand dollars five ten five twenty. We came in at over $500,000 3 different times. Uh, all three have to go through the process of the, the DM, uh, development manager, uh, approval. And uh, he had ex- excuses for turning them all down, um, but really not explaining anything to us. The issue really is is it took over a year to do this. And we're paying $4,000 a month in taxes and some issues that we, maybe, you know, right or wrong, doesn't matter. But to get out of this deal 10 months earlier, I could have kept my house. <laughs> and at this point, uh, we're living in, we're renting our house where we raised our children. It's really, it, uh, it's a little skewed all the way down the line, but essentially that's what happened. We got the lowball offers, we fought back up, but uh, the time that it took was, was just not conducive to survival the you know, the power of the franchisee in this whole situation is pretty pretty minor, which is why I believe we're on the phone.
3: Would you ever buy a subway franchise again, knowing no. what happened to you?
2: No I've had people ask me that question. I would in I wouldn't know. And I tell people never to do it. You'd be better off to start your own and lose your own hundred thousand dollars and be held by the throat by franchisors that they there's no there's no accounting for your business. It's all their business. I mean, if you think about running a $5 foot long sandwich, and you don't even have the, the choice necessarily, they tell you that you do, but then they flood the market with advertising that ironically you have paid for. And you have, if you, if you tell a consumer when they walk in, I'm not gonna, I don't honor those, those ads. I'm not gonna honor that price. My footlong is six bucks. What's gonna happen? I mean, you're 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 forced, whether you like it or not. And the the, you know, you got the state of California. How about your rents higher? How about your you know the cost of doing business is just flat out higher? And they're running five dollar footlongs in Tennessee, and everybody's happier than a pig in mud. But it doesn't work everywhere. And I, I you know I understand trying to make the the needle move because that's your goal. But uh, you know, at whose expense? No, the franchise. The franchise system and the way it's been constructed is, is horrible, and it needs to be changed. We're out of the business, and we have we have maybe a bit of an ax to grind. But I'll tell you that the reason we're on the phone is because I personally think that this needs to change because there's a lot of people out there that are in, fr- in real trouble.
0: Megan Edwards had years of successful experience in management, business, and administration in the health care industry and in the Canadian military when she purchased a Curves franchise. But when Curves sold its ownership to a venture capital firm, everything changed. The new management pressured her to purchase expensive and sometimes equipment that wasn't working, sell products like clothes and nutrition bars, and participate in expensive new marketing promotions featuring free giveaways to new members. These costly expenses along with her monthly marketing fees Eventually, ran her business into the ground.
4: In my experience, there was no way to to win. Uh, you know, win meaning being do, doing good business and making revenue, and, and having a, a small income stream, and maybe creating value for uh, a business to be resold in the future. Um, we we when I took over the business, we brought it more into the the green, and I had um, cut out a lot of unnecessary expenses that the previous owner had left. And within year two, we had one, we had been acknowledged as the best small business in our community by the local chamber of commerce. So we felt we were, we were doing the right things by the community and by our members. And still, I continued to lose every month and, and have to, to sacrifice my own quality of life and my own income, uh, not income so much as my own assets, to keep the curves going. And still, every month, every couple of months, a new um, promotion came out, but and oddly, all the promotions required you to put an upfront amount of money. You had to buy merchandise, buy the system. You had to provide tremendous amount of free um, giveaways to members, which are to potential members in lieu of marketing and so on and so forth. But what I felt was, was odd was that the, the money that was handed over by franchisees that we had to surrender out of our revenue stream was real money, real time. But the promise of what we would receive was at best speculative. And in many cases, in my situation, and I think I I can kind of speak for many other other franchises, at least in this area of California, it didn't yield. These these promotions did not yield the speculative response that we were constantly led to believe. And And it kept repeating itself. We were told that there's always another better promotion coming along. In the November of 2013, we were in a regional meeting that was hosted by the um, CEO, Monty Sharma, and by various vice presidents, um, all the top top lines. And basically the meeting was tantamount to being pressured into buying expensive new equipment, um, merchant, other merchandise, clothing, clothing racks, and, and other items that if we had all agreed to, if I had agreed to purchase those... Not only could I have not have purchased it out of club revenues and even maybe even have obtained a loan, um, I certainly couldn't support it through my credit line. I would have had to have come up with upwards of anywhere between twenty and $25,000. We were given triplicate forms, or maybe it was quadruplicate forms, and made to sign those and fill them out. It was a lot, tremendous amount of pressure. Vice Presidents were standing shoulder to shoulder with the rest of us. At the end of our rows, Monty Sharma was handing out these documents. And I remember my staff member that was with me kind of tongue-in-cheek turned, and she's very sharp and and was a wonderful employee. She turned to me and said, gosh, this is like a Tupperware party. So I I signed for what was absolutely necessary for the next promotion. What really bothered me was as soon as that new equipment was expected, the equipment I had, which had been functioning and well-maintained on a quarterly basis and worked very well, had now become um, obsolete meaning that my, my organization, my, my franchise, was basically devalued by anywhere from ten to $20,000 based on the requirement for this new equipment. And that told me that there was some thinking that was really out of skew. No matter how hard we worked, how many hours we worked, what we did for marketing, how much we met all the standards of the uh, corporation, I continued to lose money. And it was, you know, there was constant new promotions that always involved giving free pays away that we would be responsible for um, as a franchise, picking up the tab on. Or purchasing expensive, um, failed processes and systems and and new materials and um, equipment.
0: After this entrepreneur, who prefers to remain anonymous, bought a Huntington Learning Center franchise, he never made a profit, even though he was assured he would earn a profit of $75,000 a year. Instead, in his research and in talking to other Huntington Learning Center franchisees, he discovered a pernicious web of fraud that Huntington Learning Centers and the SBA-approved lender Banco Popular were using to lure would-be entrepreneurs to take out loans they could never repay. A 2011 report from the Small Business Administration's Inspector General cited the lender, Banco Popular, for improperly assessing a borrower's ability to repay when making the initial loan.
5: All the SBA is doing right now is funding a bunch of fraudulent businesses where the the owners, these smaller or mid-sized corporations, are raking in money hand over fist at the expense of not just people like me, but at least I'm able to get back on my feet. There are people who have—they've lost their families. Forget about just their homes; they've lost their families. You have no idea. People have committed suicide. People have uh, tons of um, uh, uh, divorces, and this is what the SBA is promoting. So what we're asking for simply is put the real, real numbers in there. If if the SBA wants to borrow or lend to these franchisors that don't meet the requirements, if if the SBA wants to lower their requirements and say, forget it, we don't even care about first year revenue, that's fine. Lend to the franchisor, but allow the franchisee to know what the hell those real numbers are. Uh, Let them know they are citizens, citizens of the U.S. Those are taxpayer dollars. Let them know what the hell they're getting into. Don't hide it. Don't put information on your, on your site that says well, what a great thing franchising is. Don't sit there and continue to lend knowing full well that you have default rates in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I mean, this is a joke. I'm looking at the 2012 right now, the 2012 SBA default rate um, report. It starts off with wings and things at 94.12% failure rate. Tilden for breaks, 92.86% failure rate. This is over a 10-year period. Noble Roman Pizza, 86.36. Just a buck, 81.82. You've got to be kidding me. Use the real numbers. Huntington Learning Center is showing, um, uh, you know, again, giving us 500,000, knowing full well that the real numbers are 250. This is what's going on. The SBA knows it. The SBA is complicit in this. And I say complicit because I actually had a conversation with somebody who was a former um, employee of the SBA, and I was asking them for some information uh, because they now work for a financial institution that I work with. I didn't know that they they had worked for the SBA in the past. And when I started going through the history and I was told I was given false information, I had never mentioned the fact that I had owned a franchise. This person stopped me in mid-sentence and goes, is this a franchise or was this a franchise? I said, yeah, how did you know? And they responded, I used to work for the SBA. We all knew.
0: Meet Roy Ewers. Roy purchased an Ace Hardware franchise in Virginia. To help finance his small business, he applied for Small Business Administration loans. He alleged that Ace Hardware provided financial projections that influenced the details of his loans, but some of the projections turned out to be false. Due to the contract terms, he can't walk away, but feels like an indentured servant to this firm. Ace had
6: shown us one of the decision-making processes in buying Fishers was Ace came up with... Uh, their pro formas, uh, and their financials. We also went and got outside financials, also doing our due diligence. We did that through nationwide business evaluations, which the SBA recommended. And we used vector analytics. Okay. At that point, Ace came back and said, uh, here's what we're going to do to make sure you get the SBA loan. And I said, what do you mean, what you're going to do? He says, well, we're going to provide you with the financial data uh, that shows uh, that how this will be a successful AIDS franchise. Okay. You know, they know the business, so we'll see it. And they gave me a performer that showed a loss of over 186000 the first year. And I said, well, you know, that's I can't do that, so... You know, we're going to have to rethink how we're going to do this. The NACE came back and they said, hey, look, um, here's another one where you're going to have about 190000 I have it all written down, I have the exact numbers in front of me, but um, in the first year. And I said, well, how'd you arrive at that? I said, because you were so far behind that. I was still looking for other um, uh, financing. And Ace gave me a third pro forma. And this pro forma, they sat down and explained to me how um, it would work. And I could not see how it would work. Okay? They said, um, here's what we'll do. We'll upgrade the store. When you get into it, we'll change it. We'll pay for the Ace Format. It'll be over $200,000. We'll do that for you. And since you're taking the risk for us, we're going to give you a cut in the inventory cost. That's about 13%. And what we're going to do is we're going to push off any initial inventory that you have to uh, add on over a three-month time frame. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, over a over six-month time frame. And I went, okay... And they said, "And here's the the pro forma. Uh, what do you think?" And I went over and I looked at the numbers, and I went, "Still doesn't fall into what looks like to be the SBA requirement." And they said, "Well, you know, we can we can work with that, and we'll see what the lender will do." And then I get a phone call, and the phone call is from the lender, NCB. And They tell me can't be done. And I said can't be done. No. So I called A. Say he's got on the phone with them, and they said, you know, hey, this doesn't meet the requirements for SBA. Um, the number has to be," and they gave that number. And then a few days later, um, about actually about a week later, we got we get a phone call from the lender, and they say, "Okay, you're approved." I said, approved. How can I be approved? Yeah. And they, I said, I never signed any of the financials. I don't have, never signed the pro forma. And I don't understand how the one, the very last one I even saw, which I had not signed, um, uh, doesn't. Um, you said would would not make it. And they said, well, we talked with Ace. And he talked with them, so I called ACE, and he said, Oh, yeah, what we decided to do is a couple things. I said, Well, let me get the lender on here. So the lender got on there and said, This is between you and ACE, but you have the loan. And I went, Well, what does that mean? In the meantime, the lender calls back and says, hey, this is all okay, it's good, it's good. Uh, we, we do a lot of ACEs. ACE is one of our biggest things. Uh, this is fine. And um, I said, well, what you know, What about you know, these, these upfront costs? What about um, the ratios you use? Because to me, the ratio still doesn't come out. At that point, she said, well, what it is is, and this is the lender, what it is is once you're in the ACE format, the numbers will all... Fall into place. The the, pro, the way we look at the pro forma is it's a living knocking. And the closer you get you know, to completing this thing, the
0: more accurate it becomes. This next franchisee, who has asked that I don't share his name, alleges he fell victim to a fraudulent business scheme set up between Discovery Point and a loan officer at a local bank. He is one of several Discovery Point franchisees who received information which is alleged to be false in its financial projections. The allegedly false figures allowed the loan officer to approve the loan application to receive Small Business Administration Guaranteed Loan. The franchisee business owner was left with nothing but debt.
7: Discovery Point franchise gave us a pro forma, like what is the projection, like how much you invest and how much you get back, and so on. So what they do is they build a childcare center from scratch. That means uh, they buy the land, they build the center, and then sell the package. Uh, That is the building and the franchise business. Uh, So they gave us the number, and there was no way to verify it because other franchises will not share their financials. Uh, So we went to the bank, which normally financed this business venture. It was a Fidelity Bank. And the lady over there um, was uh, very friendly and said, she was uh, knowledgeable and she said she has been financing discovery point for several years and knows uh, that it is very profitable so we gave her the projections and she said yeah everything looks good and it will be uh, like a they, the bank will finance the project and we have to put a 10 percent down payment so we did the paperwork and so on, and uh, opened the business in August of 2007. And uh, even from day one, we could never be cash positive. That means there was never enough income to pay the bank, to pay the franchise, and pay the salary, etc. So it was pretty much uh, like a Um, Sorry story from the beginning. Then finally we complained to arbitration that the Discovery Point franchise uh, did something wrong and they gave us uh, false numbers. But in arbitration, the hearing, uh, the Discovery Point franchise lawyer mentioned that the bank supported the projections they verified the projections, and the SEA loan was guaranteed based on those numbers. So why are you complaining that those numbers are bad? So the arbitrator said, uh, okay, the bank supported these numbers, so nothing can be done, so it was all right. So we lost arbitration, we lost
0: the center. Mike Sullivan owned two Big O Tire franchise locations in California, but after Big O Tire's told him that they were no longer focusing on his regional market location. He chose to sell his second location to a third party. Big O agreed to get off the lease so he could sell, but then changed his mind. Through lease manipulations, Big O converted his store into a company-owned location, causing him financial losses. Mike fears that this was an act of retaliation for his participation in a previous lawsuit against Big O Tires.
3: Hi, my name is Mike Sullivan. Uh, I was a a Big O Tire franchisee. I had a store that I opened in 2001 in Oakhurst, California. And Big O approached me about opening a second location in Fresno, California in 2003. Um, The second location was actually uh, a store that Big O had purchased the lease rights to and, the equipment in the store from Winston Tire Bankruptcy Court. Um, so what I then did is I leased the store from them. They were the master on the lease dealing with the landlord. Um, I was the third store in that market. And what happened over the several years is they lost the two other stores. One guy went out of business because he couldn't make it because of his cost structure. Uh, and that was a ground up big O tire store build. The second store left because they weren't getting any value out of the franchise, uh, and they left in about two thousand and five um, because the, the, the marketing was not was not sufficient for them. so they left and went to another program. Uh, outside of Big O tires, and that left me as the only store in the market so for what ha- what happened then is I went to Big O and said, hey you know we've got to get this thing addressed and we've got to get stores in the market it just doesn't work Fresno market with one store so over the net so they promised me that it was a um, it was a priority market for them they call it a priority market they didn't say it was the number one priority market they never said who it was but they said it was a priority market. And in about July of 2008 they came back and told me that Fresno was no longer a priority market and in fact they weren't going to do anything to develop the market. Um, At that time uh, they would agree to reduce the term of my franchise agreement by three years. Um, By three years should I stay for an additional two. So to avoid litigation, I agreed to, my wife and I agreed to that, so our our, our our new franchise date would end in August of 2010. The lease required that I give them 120 days notice of my renewal intent on the lease, not the franchise agreement, but the lease. And uh, they had to give the landlord 90 days, so well before the 120 days I contacted my local big old rep who who directed me into a person in Florida. I contacted that person in Florida. We had a discussion. I explained to them that I needed to protect my investment, and uh, I wanted to know if Big O still had no interest in the market or if Big O had changed their mind and had an interest in the market. I assumed they had no interest in the market since in the two-year period that this had gone on. Um, They never had anybody come into the market and look at store development or anything of that nature. So about a week later, the lady called me back and said, no, we don't have any interest in the market. You are correct. And we're going to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish. And what that accomplished, what I needed them to do is to get off the lease so that I could control the lease so that I could sell the business. Because the lease required, the lease with Big O required that it be a Big O store. And as a result, they needed to get off the lease so I could sell the business they agreed to get off the lease uh, they told me I could start working with the landlord they communicated to the landlord that they were going to get off the lease and what they did in that 30-day window is they went then went back to the landlord and said no we're gonna stay and in fact uh, in uh, early 2010 uh, I went to their regional vice president, and we had a discussion. And he basically said, Mike, I'm not going to give you any support unless you're committed to store unit growth, meaning increase the number of locations you have. And I said, I'm at this time, I I can't agree to that. I need to get this store working the way it should be working, and that's the help that I'm asking you for that's in the franchise agreement. And he flatly refused to provide it to me. I had never violated any of my... Uh, on any of the requirements of the franchise agreement. I'd never had a bad letter from them. I'd never been in default. I, there, were, there was no reason for them not to renew me. I, I believe the management of the California Department of Corporations uh, were the ones that did not want this investigated, um, did not want this fully investigated. Uh, they had numerous complaints from Big O tire dealers uh, regarding Big O's actions. But for some reason, they refused to address it. And they cited uh, that they had workload issues, which is why they couldn't do it. Um, you know, Big O, during the term of its, of its agreement, we had to buy 75% of our tires from them. Um, if we didn't buy 75% of our tires, we were actually uh, could be in default of our franchise agreement. The fact that this guy had said to me you know what, if you're not willing to grow store count, I'm not willing to give you the help that you were promised a year and a half ago. And I said, wait a minute, that's a violation of the franchise agreement. And he basically says, yeah, so I don't care. If you're not going to grow store count, I'm not going to give you the help that, that, that you're supposed to get. He changed the terms of the franchise agreement in doing that.
0: The stories of Megan, Mike, Roy, and Leslie and Jim are what inspired me to introduce two bills to allow franchisees to have a real chance at success. A recent study reported that more than 52% of franchisees cannot earn a decent living from their business. Some report not earning a salary themselves while struggling to pay employees. I fear the franchise business model is broken. Some franchisees are sold businesses that cannot be profitable because of the expensive royalties, rent payments, costly promotions, and marketing fees demanded by the franchisor. The franchise model needs correction to protect those that are investing, employing, and paying taxes in each of our communities. The balance of power is tilted too far in favor of the franchisor. My bills seek to give the small business owners more information and more say in their businesses. This enables them to succeed and their employees to earn a decent living wage.